Lord, we pray that we'll continue now worshiping you through the study of your word. As we continue through this book of Amos, we pray, Lord, that you will do a supernatural work in our hearts, in our minds, in our very character, Lord. That you'll speak to each and every one of us what we need to hear for our lives. That you will transform us into your people in ever greater ways. That you will convict us of the truth, but also that you will give us the power to be able to be changed by you. We ask this to your glory now, as we pray that you will open up your word to us, speak it into our lives, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, sometimes it's difficult to know who your friends are and who your enemies are. We call those people who are enemies but pretend to be our friends, frenemies. And we call those friends who are tough on us but actually do care about us a pain. I won't say any more than that. Not everyone who speaks harshly to us is an enemy. My view on all of this changed dramatically when I was a sophomore in college. Playing football, I had an area coach who was particularly tough on me. I don't remember him saying, Hardly anything positive to me. Usually what he had to say was critical, and usually it was in a volume that was very audible to everybody. One day he came up to me and he asked me if I would help him to move. His family was moving and he asked four players to help him, and I was confused why he would ask me. I wasn't one of his favorites, that's for sure. And I wasn't sure what it was about, but glad to help him out. I went, I helped him move. I was surprised that we had a moment alone. So I turned to him and I said, Coach, can I ask you a question? He said, sure. I said, why did you ask me? I don't understand. You don't particularly care for me. You don't even like me. He said, well, what gives you that thought? I said, well, pretty much, you're always hollering at me. Then he looked me in the eyes and he said this, Craig, that's because you have lots of potential. And when I stop hollering at you, you know I've given up on you. Changed my whole perspective. I knew my dad was tough on me, but I also knew that he loved me. That was different. And when friends were hard on me, I didn't necessarily trust that they cared about me. But after that, I began to realize that not everybody who is tough or hard or straightforward or blunt dislikes me or wants to do harm to me or is a frenemy. In chapters 3 and 4, while God will speak harshly, to the nation of Israel. He is not their enemy. 
He is not their foe. And he is not a frenemy. He is the same God who had established a covenant with their forefathers and had blessed them, bringing them into the promised land. The big idea for us today is this, that God is for us, but he is against evil and he is against sin. And if we allow ourselves to get caught up in evil and sin, then we will suffer the consequences of it. In these two chapters, three and four, there are no less than 45 references to God. The Lord, the Lord God, God, the God of hosts, and several personal pronouns. 45 references in two chapters tells me that we would do well to pay attention to who God is telling us that he is and how he relates to us. So as we go through this study, these two chapters, I want you to pay attention to who God is and how he's revealing himself. Okay, Amos chapter 3, God of the Covenant. Amos 3 begins with God reminding Israel of the lasting covenant that he made with them. Let's read verses 1 and 2 together. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the whole family that I brought out of the land of Egypt. Now, remember, the whole family that he brought out of the land of Egypt is not just the northern kingdom of Israel, but it is also the southern kingdom of Judah, right? And this is what he says. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. At the heart of Amos is the covenant that God established with Israel and Israel with God. When God's people took possession of the promised land, a covenant was established with them through Moses at the giving of the law. God's covenant promise is recounted for us in Deuteronomy 30, 15 through 20, in which God addresses that he will bless the people if they fulfill their part of the covenant. But he also says that he will curse the people if they fail to live up to their part of the covenant. What was their covenant promise? Well, we need to turn to Exodus 24, 7 through 8. It is there that Israel promises to obey and worship God and Him alone. They have this special relationship with God. But because of their inequities and their failure to keep their covenant promise, made by their forefathers some 700 years earlier, that God was still keeping his promise by blessing them. Now God says that he intends to keep his promise by cursing them, punishing them. The Lord follows this up with a series of six questions, seven actually. The first six are a resounding no, and those Six, emphasize the nature of relationship. 
They are effect explained by the cause in each of the questions. And each time the question is there, the people would hear it and say, no, 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 no. But then God asks a final question. Look at it with me in verse 6. Is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? The answer is yes. And the implication is that disaster is coming to them at the hands of God. It is His doing. God goes on to say that He sent a prophet to declare His punishment before it happens. The God of the everlasting covenant with His people will not act in secret. He compels Amos to declare it to Israel and to the watching world. And what God tells the people is that there are two sins at the heart of their covenant failure. The first sin of Israel was the sin of injustice, oppressing and exploiting the vulnerable among them. They failed to act justly and righteously in their economic and social dealings with the poor, the under-resourced, the powerless, and the marginalized among God's people. They had rejected the second great commandment of God that is like the first. They have rejected loving their neighbors as themselves. As a result, look at what God says about how they have done this. Verses 9 through 10, 9b actually. They do not know, hold on, and see the great tumults within her and the oppressed in her midst, the oppressed in her midst. They do not know how to do right, declares the Lord. Those who store up violence and robbery in their strongholds. They have failed to live out loving their neighbor as themselves. They have failed to live out the holiness code of God that calls them to love as God has loved them. Now, if we are to look, just stop for a minute and look at injustice and look at ourselves, just take a minute to to look inward. Surely, as people of the new covenant, we don't treat others in that way. Or do we? I hope and imagine that we don't actively afflict the poor or take advantage of them. That we don't cheat them in our dealings. But Amos and God's word is poignant enough for us to consider whether we are afflicting the poor. Maybe not actively in the sins of commission, but how about passively in the sins of omission? By doing nothing to assist them with their need. By turning away because, well, they make us feel uncomfortable 
when we look at the discrepancy between their impoverished situation and our affluence. By rationalizing it all away, convincing ourselves that what we do will not make a difference. In the sins of our omission, we fail to consider not that we will make a difference, but that God expects us to offer to others the very same undeserved compassion and generosity that he has shown to you and to me. The second sin of Israel was the sin of idolatry. Read with me verse 14. He says, On that day I will punish Israel for his transgressions. I will punish the altars of Bethel, and the horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. From the time the people of God were divided into two kingdoms, north and south, almost 150 years earlier, Israel stopped worshiping the God of the covenant, afraid that if people went to Jerusalem to worship the God of the covenant, they would turn against their king and turn against this newly formed kingdom. They established new places with a new God to worship. In 1 Kings 12.8, we learn, so the king took counsel and he made two calves of gold and he said to the people, You have gone to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Who did he take counsel from? Well, he took counsel from the wise men, but also from the religious leaders. And they completely turned away from God. to worship other gods. They had rejected the Shema, the first and greatest commandment of God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Instead, they worshiped other gods and built their lives around them. Now again, if we were to step back and just take a hard look at ourselves and be honest, really, truly honest, surely as people of the new covenant, we don't worship other gods or build our lives or portions of our lives around them. Or do we? Surely we keep a close eye on ourselves. what grabs our attention to make sure that we're following God above all else. Our money, our wealth, our material comforts aren't more important than, uh, to, than, to us than God. Our longing for success, status, or power is not more important to us than God. Our desire for happiness and comfort and gratification is not more important to us than God. And our need for safety or security or acceptance from others 
is not more important to us than God. Surely such idols never grab our attention or cause us to turn away from following and obeying and worshiping God alone. Or do they? If you listen carefully last week, I like this, I can get out here and holler at you now. If you listen carefully to Pastor Tim's message, he said to you, Amos ought to disturb you. What God has to say through Amos is unrelenting. And it is meant to convict us of the truth so that we will stay in covenant with God and not reject the God who has made covenant with us. If you heard carefully, then you heard him say, God requires us to be radical in this. Radically honest. For our sake. For our sake. Because God wants to bless us, not curse us. God wants us to be in relationship to Him for all eternity, not condemn us. When we go on to chapter 4, we come to the God of holiness. First the God of covenant, now the God of holiness. Once again, God reiterates the two primary sins of Israel, injustice and idolatry. He calls the privileged women of Israel cows. Wow, that's not PC language, is it? Could I say that again from the pulpit? No, I won't. Just kidding. He chastises them for their contribution to the never-ending cycle of oppressing the poor and crushing the needy. I wonder what he would call their husbands. Those who were privileged were crushing the poor and oppressing the needy. Look at what God says to them in verse 2. The Lord has sworn by His holiness that behold, the days are coming upon you when they shall take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks. God swears by His holy nature that the curses He promised in the covenant are coming. And little does Israel know how accurate this prophecy of brutality and destruction will be. For in less than 40 years, the Assyrians will come to conquer and destroy Israel. And they were the most brutal and efficient nation in oppressing other people in all of ancient history. They impaled people on stakes. They gouged out eyes. They burned people alive. They would do horrible, horrible things. 
all so that people would fear them. And the nation of Israel would be crushed under their brutality, just as God told them. Now, God swears by his holiness. God is holy. It is part of his nature. Holy means to be separate, set apart. It means to be pure and without sin. Most certainly, God is other. He is set apart from us and set apart from the world. He is pure and without sin. And the Bible teaches us that God's holiness fuels his wrath against sin and evil. And although God is love, his holiness causes him to condemn sin and evil, even if it is in the people that he loves. That is the terrible truth in the covenant. made with God's people that Amos is telling them about. While God is holy and pure and without sin, we are not. Yet God intended that his covenant people would be holy just like him. God expected his people to actually emulate his holiness, rejecting evil and sin rather than embracing it. God gave them the holiness laws to follow. And God gave them sacrificial laws to provide mercy for when they failed to obey and follow God so that they would be covered with his mercy. God had provided for all of that so that they might be a holy people set apart for God. This is why God said to them, you shall be holy for I, the Lord, your God am holy. As we read on in Amos 4, God sarcastically invites Israel to continue in the sin of idolatry by worshiping their false gods at the altar of Bethel and Gilgal. And while these sins of injustice and idolatry are heinous to God, enough to warrant the severe punishment of God, God describes yet another sin of Israel that perhaps is even worse. It is their apathy toward God and or their outright rejection of God. We read that God has reached out to them time and again, but they have not returned to him. Let's read verses 6 through 11 now. I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and lack of bread in all your places that you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Get the blessing in this? There's all this blessing that they did not return to him. I also withheld the rain from you when there were yet three months to the harvest. I would send rain on one city and send no rain on another city. One field would have rain and the field on which it did not rain would wither. So two or three cities would wander to another city to drink water and would not be satisfied. Yet you did not return to me, 
declares the Lord. So whether God blessed them or whether God provided lack to them, they did not return to him. He goes on to say, I struck you with blight and mildew, your many gardens and your vineyards, your fig trees and your olive trees, the locusts devoured, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I sent among you a pestilence after the manner of Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword and carried away your horses, and I made the stench of your camp go up into your nostrils, yet you did not return to me, declares the Lord. I overthrew some of you, as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. And you were a brand plucked out of the burning, that you did not return to me, declares the Lord. All of the struggles that they faced were not happenstance. In them, God was telling his people, that he wanted them to return to him. God promised that if they would keep their covenant promises, he would bless the land with great abundance so that it would produce all that they needed. In the same way, God promised that if they did not keep their covenant promises, he would remove that blessing, causing them to suffer lack and hardship. In each of the examples we read, except for the first, God was communicating with his people that the hardship they faced had been God calling them to repent and turn back to him. But they did not see his gracious hand reaching out to them in these struggles. And although it does not say so, I imagine that this prophetic word from Amos, even at this time, was God's way of providing one last chance for them to repent and turn back to him. Now again, let us step back and take a look at this for ourselves. I wonder, as people of the new covenant, if we consider that God is in the hard things of our life, speaking to us, calling to us, to consider him more carefully. I wonder if we realize that we are people of purpose and nothing just happens to us. There is purpose in all of it for us because behind it all is God. And you might be thinking, God? God is there in tragedy? In my suffering? Yes. God is there in illness, in death, and in loss. God is there in lack, in hunger, in financial ruin. God is there in being ostracized and being persecuted and being alone. God is the sovereign Lord over all things. And he promises to care for us and to always keep his promises. We see in chapter 4, in the very next verse, the glimpse of who he is when he tells Israel his very name. Look with me in verse 12. Therefore, I will do to you, O Israel, 
Sorry, verse 12. Verse, it is verse 13. I apologize. Second part. For behold, he who forms the mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what is his thought, who makes the morning darkness and treads on the heights of the earth, the Lord, the God of hosts, is his name. The Lord, the God of hosts, can be translated the Lord God Almighty who created everything and who rules over everything. Nothing happens unless the Lord causes it or the Lord allows it. And when he allows it, the Bible teaches us that God does so for a spiritual purpose. And most often we have to admit that those spiritual purposes are beyond what we understand. They're beyond what we can see, and we must accept it by faith. Perhaps today you are struggling with something very hard. Then go to God. Place your trust in Him. Let Him teach you, and let Him form you so that you may become more like his son, Jesus. Because ultimately, God wants to grow us so that we we become more and more like Jesus. God ended his accusations against Israel by telling them, Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God. In this, God was using the very same language that described the Jews when they stood before God at Mount Sinai in the giving of the law and trembled in fear at the holiness of God. Israel is once again commanded to prepare to meet God and stand before him in all his holiness and power, which is awesome and terrible. And one day, which you and I will also stand before his awesome and terrible holiness. God is for us but he is against evil and sin. If we allow ourselves to get caught up in evil and sin, then we will suffer the consequences of it. We are his covenant people, and God will keep his promises to us. My friends, everyone gets judged. Even the people of the new covenant get judged. The Bible says we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. And should we think that because we are the people of the new covenant, we will not be exposed in the truth that His holiness will not be an awesome and terrible thing and expose our complete nakedness, we would be wrong. But, as people of the new covenant, mediated by the Messiah Jesus through his sacrificial death 
He will cover us with His forgiveness and His righteousness. And we shall make our dwelling with God and God with us for all eternity. Because that is His promise. The covenant of His promise for us. Now perhaps there's somebody here today who's not a member of that new covenant, who's never really made that decision to believe on Jesus that He has provided all that is necessary. That in Him, God was taking upon Himself in the cross, in that sacrificial death, the wrath meant against all unholiness and sin and providing a covering of forgiveness and righteousness so that we might make our dwelling with Him and He with us. And if you are one of those people who have not made that decision, then I encourage you to consider it. Because God not only makes this new covenant with you and promises that He will make His dwelling with you and you will make your dwelling with Him by Jesus. But God promises that He will send the Holy Spirit into your life to enable and empower you so that you might live holy lives. All the while, with the blood of Jesus covering us when we fail to live up to that covenant, providing mercy and grace to those who trust in Him. If that's a decision you've never made, may I encourage you to make it. And if you're wondering, well, how do we go about that? Then just come on up and Chat with me after the service, and we'll talk more about it. Now, as we consider, what, what does this text mean to us? How, how are we going to apply it? I've given you lots of examples of, of doing some real soul-searching in your life to address your individual responses, but I want to take a minute to address our response as a church, as a community of Believers, I want to address this corporate response that we have to the Fall Compassion Projects of Project Share, in particular in Hurricane Relief, although we could include the Shrifty event coming up too. Each fall for many years now, we have chosen to help feed the hungry. Since 2005, our church has fed more than 14,000 families throughout Chicagoland. Certainly, the need is great. Hunger is always with us. And the goal of feeding 1,280 families, which we began the year with, is formidable and worthwhile. But this year, we have a new set of circumstances. This year, two devastating hurricanes have rocked our nation. And there is great need for resources and help for those within the new covenant of faith and for those even beyond the new covenant of faith who are outside of it. 
We have the opportunity to respond as people of the new covenant of God, demonstrating our love for our neighbors by not only feeding the hungry right here in the Chicagoland area, but also by giving and helping and serving the victims of two hurricanes. The leadership and elders, outreach staff, have struggled in how to present this to you. In a year when we've asked you to give over and above your tithes and offerings that fund our everyday operations in order to provide for a much-needed restoration of the Lord's house. We have asked ourselves, do we provide another financial goal in giving hurricane relief on top of Project Share? People like leaders to tell them what our goals are so we can reach out to them. Do we lower the goal for Project Share and split the funding between them? And here's what we've decided. We're not going to lower the goal for Project Share. We're not going to set a goal for hurricane relief. We're not going to set any new goals. We're going to allow you to go to God and ask Him what He wants of you. As Sam said to us in the announcements, we're not going to tell you up here what to do. We're going to ask you to go to God and listen right here what to do. And we're going to challenge you to be obedient to that. It may feel like a lot, but this is not happenstance. The God Almighty is behind all things. And this is an opportunity for us to go to God and to respond to Him. It is an opportunity for us to say no to self. By making an even bigger sacrifice this year. It is an opportunity for us to step out in faith beyond our comfort zones, and to give what is more than comfortable. It is an opportunity for us to live out our mission and be used by God in sending financial support and all kinds of support, even work teams, out to witness to the world in a way that will help to transform it. I invite you to really carefully consider how you're going to respond this year. We chose Amos back in the spring, long before we knew the situation we would be in. It's a hard word. Will you get on your knees before God and let that word penetrate your heart? And let God tell you how to live justly, how to show compassion to others as He has shown to you. Here's the thing I would ask you, because we're asking you not to do this, but to do this. Tomorrow night, we're going to gather for prayer at 7 o'clock. For anybody who wants to, we'll come, we'll gather prayer. I'm not sure where we can meet, but let's anticipate we'll meet downstairs because I think a dot's up here. 
And we are going to ask God to guide our congregation in doing this. We're going to ask God to make us generous and to make us responsive to Him. To live so that we might live justly toward others. We might worship God above all else. We might be proved to be people of the new covenant of the living God. Together, let's radically live out our faith so that we are more transformed and help to transform the world so that they too will see God. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for being such a good God. You're not easy, Lord. But you are good. I pray that you will speak into the heart of our church, to all of us as a community. I pray, Lord, that you will move in such a way to make us of one mind and one heart in serving you. I pray that that service will be seen in what we do together in Project Share and Hurricane Relief with Shrifty and with uh, sending mission teams down to, to devastated places because of hurricanes and in whatever other ways, Lord, you would lead us. Help us to be people of the covenant, the new covenant that was mediated by Jesus, gave his very life. so that we might live for eternity with you. Lord, help us to start that even now in the present. Guide us and lead us that it might be a great witness for you, that people would be blessed and helped, that we would not be apathetic, but rather that we would live out your holiness code in the ways that you guide us. For we ask this all in Jesus' name. And we all agreed and said? Amen. We have one question. Do the Old and New Testaments have the same position on the consequence of sin for God's people? My answer to this would be yes. As I understand it, whether it is an Old Testament person or a New Testament person, we are saved by our faith in God, Right? Wasn't Abraham saved by his faith? Those who are with God, it is because of their faith in God. But those who reject God and who live sinfully, all of that, those will be thrown, cast into the lake of fire. Sadly. Which is why we need to be busy witnessing to the world, making sure that people know God loves them and he wants them to join him. So let us remember that as we leave here today, we go to our wells and there will be people who have no clue that God is working in their lives, but the Holy Spirit will move you to reach out to them, to love on them, to help them, perhaps even 
to tell them about Jesus, certainly when the time is right, and to help them draw closer to him and to help them get how much God loves them. Now, go in peace. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and grant you his peace, both now and on to life eternal. Amen.